to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Better Golf Podcast. I am your host, Tee Off Sports, and I will be running you down the board for the RSM Classic. But before we get into some of my favorite plays for the week, I do want to recap the Houston Open. From a betting perspective, I felt fortunate to grind out a break-even week. Maverick McNeely and Luke Liss both came inside the top 40 market for two of the bigger returns I had on the board in that sector, and I was able to get a one-fifth chop on Luke Liss as the first-round leader. A birdie would have gone a long way when he returned on Friday to close out his round, uh, but it all went with the theme of what this offseason has been so far. The Rory McIlroy victory at the CJ Cup has at least kept things somewhat afloat, but I did make some changes to my model for this event. Without giving away all of what goes into the data, I will say that I moved some of the more recent metrics up 10% from where I would usually have them at this point of the year. Uh, the reason for that is, is I want to narrow down some of these selections that I don't end up with the Corn Ferry prospects being the top of the board every single week. It feels like, you know, Thigala, Ramey, Taylor Moore, or a handful of other choices keep burning the cards to the ground. And that is really where the issues are stemming from at this point. I think by adding more recent weight that we can see the massive differences my model came up with this week alone. Alex Smalley and Davis Thompson were the only two to pop inside the top 50 of my model. And that seems more likely to be aberrational finds than my whole spreadsheet thinking they are the cream of the crop. We will see if I have anything during the Hero World Challenge or QBE shootout, but it is likely that the RSM is going to be the last real venture of the season for tracking of wagers. As we stand right now, 462.285 units have been recommended either on here, Twitter, or inside of my Vegas Report article at Rotoballer. I am up 61.286 units for a 13.26% ROI. It's been about an 18% decline from our highs after the BMW championship, but you have to live with the ebbs and flows of the business. That run from the Barbasol to the playoffs was always going to be a performance well above our projected output and has resulted in losing some of our back-end uh, totals here in, for the swing season. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Tioff Sports if you want to get a more in-depth look at my model that I release to the public, but let's get right into the RSM Classic. Sea Island Golf Club, 7,005 yards, par 70, Bermuda grass, back to a standard full field event of 156 players. That is something we should keep in mind when making top 40 wagers, but I do tend to like these tournaments better as it is for bet types like that because of pricing. Last five winners have been Robert Streb in 2020 at 19 under, Tyler Duncan in 2019 at 19 under, Nick's boy Charles Howell III in 2018 at 19 under. Hopefully you see a general trend forming here. Austin Cook in 2017 at 21 under, and Mackenzie Hughes in 2016 when he shot 17 under. That's a rather steady leaderboard that once again should show us that we have a birdie fest on our hands. But let me talk a little bit about how we can use that to our advantage. One of the most notable things to keep in mind is that players will be forced to play either their Thursday or Friday rounds on the one-off plantation course. I always find rotational events more challenging the handicap because of the randomness that gets thrown into the fray for one day. I do think books can be slow to move if we see one of the two courses playing substantially easier than the other. That might allow a Thursday night wager to be placed if a golfer is heading to the plantation course in this scenario. Uh, but it's not as if this should be viewed as the north and south courses at Torrey Pines. Both of these are definitely on the easy side, but the main difference is that the plantation track is a par 72 that has four par fives. 
that might help create some more scoring chances. From a modeling perspective, I'm going to do very little with this information. At the end of the day, the important weekend rounds will still be at Sea Island. And we have enough similarities with the green complexes to not try and overcomplicate the approach. I don't mind adding in more emphasis on par five scoring since the one-off round will feature four par fives on the day, but it isn't something I am doing in my particular build. Wind typically plays a factor with such narrow landing areas off the tee, and it does play as a benefit if you can find the short grass. On average, the field connects on 80% of their greens in regulation when hitting their approach shots from the fairway. That's about as high as you will see on tour. And when rounding down, we have an eye-popping 10 par fours that measure between 400 to 450 yards. I don't typically like measuring outlier categories like that, but when 55% of the scoring chances come in a specific range, I do think you would be naive to avoid it entirely. Um, the only other two things that I felt like were worth mentioning is that 8.7% more putts get made from 10 feet and beyond here than an average stop. That's a little troublesome when trying to build models because it's suggesting a putting contest where golfers aren't putting or putting things closer to the hole than that. And that does kind of play into my next stat of 8.5% more shots coming between 125 to 175 yards in tour average. I would expect a better proximity range based off of that, but these greens do feature substantial undulation like all Tom Fazio designs or reconstructions. But I have a pretty basic model by my standards this week of only five categories. I did try to get unique for DFS purposes by jumbling some of them into one stat to diversify some of my ideas. But I started with 30% on a recalculated metric that took proximity from 125 to 175 yards and putting from five feet and beyond on Bermuda greens to try and figure out who would be most likely to give themselves opportunities. Both of those stats, as I mentioned, have totals over 8% above tour average. And I actually made it a 65-35 split of putting over iron proximity. That is the opposite of what would be conventional. Uh, but I didn't see a great deal of predictability from that range in past leaderboards. Even if the stats bear out that the plurality of shots come from there, the easy answer is that more putts are being made from distance, which naturally means irons aren't being hit as closely. I did another 30% on a weighted strokes gain category that looked at courses under 7,200 yards, easy scoring, and Bermuda greens. As anyone knows that listens to this show, I don't typically go above 20 or 25% on a specific category, but I wanted to hone in on more of the random variables. It was a relatively even split between the three stats, but to me, those three ideas encompass what I wanted to find at a venue that isn't perfect from a quantifiable sense. Uh, that is basic information that we all know to be true with this being under 7,200 yards. We have the Bermuda greens and what else with it, but uh, it provides a good rollover predictability when placed into a model. I usually like running these on easy courses. And a lot of times you see the leaderboards very similar to how you would expect them to be. I have 10% on moderate to severe wind. It's still an easy course, but the one true defense is the wind. I thought it helped to have it in there to an extent. Greens and regulation gain for 15%. I noted this on my Be The Number podcast that I wanted to try and avoid the GIR or accuracy routes this week because it starts making the same builds as every other user. Uh, that has less importance in the betting market since what others are betting has little impact on what I am going to do. But I did like this stat because of the correlation I found from past leaderboards. And then I wrapped it up with par four scoring between 400 to 450 yards. That's a very wonky stat. It's one everyone is probably using this week in some fashion. That normally means I will shift to a different area. But as I noted, 55% of the scoring comes here. 
even if the exact reduction to the specific range might be too inconsistent for modeling, par four scoring in general is a good place to start. And it's hard to ignore where the holes are coming from. At the time of recording the show, I'm still waiting on head-to-head -head wagers to enter the market at most shops. Um, you can get the full card from me on my Vegas report over at Rotoballer. But if the prices were right, the two guys I would be looking to fade in this market would be Kevin Kisner or Harris English. I don't have any issues with anyone that placed an outright ticket on Kisner, but I think it's rather presumptive that he will turn things around at Sea Island. We know the venue fits his eye with multiple robust showings, including a win, but he's averaging negative 7.98 strokes over his last six starts. And that's including a victory at the Wyndham Championship. It's been nothing but boom or bust for him lately. And I don't love taking on the risk in any market that isn't an outright wager. I still would rather look elsewhere even there. But, um, you know, that's just one subsection where he's somewhat in play. English falls under a very similar thought process after pulling out of the CJ Cup with an injury. I just think there are safer places to go with more upside if we're looking at 10% plus ownership. Moving into the top 40 placement wagers, I have a handful this week to discuss, and I will begin with Matt Wallace at plus 155 on FanDuel. That is plus 130 on DraftKings. I wanted to find a way to gain exposure to Wallace in some market, and I missed the outright territory with the aggressive route that I took in my building of the card. Um, some of the form overseas has been less than ideal, but I'm only using PGA Tour stats when doing my research. Those tolls made him the fourth safest play on the board. You can argue that's an inflated projection, but I like how he grades in Bermuda and in wind. I have Chris Kirk plus 275. That's to come top 20 on Bovada. Um, that's going to be a site that pays ties in full. If you're looking at the top 40 market, plus 120 on FanDuel, minus 110 on DraftKings, if those are the only two places you have access to. Uh, but Kirk is one of only four players to grade inside the top 19 of all stats that I ran for this week. The other three were Webb Simpson, Corey Connors, and Russell Henley. I'm going to keep trusting my math on him despite a few negative waders in a row, but that negative safety build versus positive upside distribution has me more inclined to try and take on that upside on a site like Bovada. I like Matt Kuchar plus 140 on FanDuel. That's plus 120 on DraftKings. We have seen an improvement with Kuchar recently. Four made cuts out of five tournaments. I do think he plays better as a cash game play on DraftKings or as a top 40 wager because of his cap ceiling. But he's ranked 11th for me in my safety model. That's good enough to put a wager in at plus 140. I like Denny McCarthy plus 170 on DraftKings. It's plus 165 on FanDuel. Two top 15s in a row for McCarthy, who's always going to do his best work when his putter gets hot. We are seeing that here again, but the metrics look steady when we remove his discouraging GIR numbers. He ranks 17th in the weighted category I ran that looked into short courses, easy courses, and Bermuda grass. Uh, his week in most markets, you know, I think he's going to be better deployed as a GPP play. Uh, but he has a nice enough safety for me that I'm going to look at him in a top 40 wager in this market. Charles Howell III, plus 145 FanDuel, plus 110 on DraftKings. Uh, this is one of the few events a year where Howell possesses real win equity. We don't necessarily need that when we take him as a top 40, but I do like how he sets up for Sea Island. Uh, three top 30s in his last five trips, including his victory in 2018. Michael Thompson, plus 210 on FanDuel, plus 190 on DraftKings. 12 consecutive rounds of being par or better. Four straight made cuts, and he now draws a course that he's suited for. Um, he's ranked ninth in driving accuracy, 21st at courses under 7,200 yards. I currently have this in as a standard wager right now, which is a half unit wager. 
I'm likely going to make this a little bit more. My model really likes Michael Thompson, and I think the best way to play him is as a top 40 this week. Um, Lanto Griffin plus 155 fan duel. That's plus 150 on DraftKings. <clears throat> I don't love his price at the, or I didn't love his price at the Houston Open, but he ranks between 16th and 60th in all other categories if we remove the specific par four scoring range. Uh, he also ranks 24th overall in my model and 19th for safety. And then if I'm just taking a few more shots on the top 20 market on Bovada, where ties are going to pay me in full, Brian Harmon plus 250 and Cameron Davis plus 475. I don't love the prices for them in the top 40 because of their volatility, but it wouldn't shock me if one of them put together a big outing. Um, that will take us into the outright market, though. I'm going to end the year with a bang and provide a more bulky card than you typically get from me. I started with Louis Oosthuizen at 25 to 1. Upside and Louis don't usually coincide with one another, but I did notice some trends for why I believe he's a better outright bet than anything else. Anytime a player is struggling with the best facet of their game, and we see that here with Louis going ice cold with his putter and averaging negative two strokes per start in four straight losing efforts, but I think it opens up the upside for him when with what he's accomplishing elsewhere. Louis is the number one player in this field over his past 24 rounds in strokes gain when we remove putting from the equation. And while birdie fence aren't typically the setups I like to target him at, it's not as if the winners have gotten to 25 under. It would be naive to say Louis can't get himself to 20 under if his flat stick heats up. You know, I'm going to be with the consensus on these next two plays of Corey Connors at 27 to one and Russell Henley at 31 to one. Uh, in retrospect, uh, I put that Henley bet in really quickly, and I know the market now has, it seems like every single person's on him. I worry a little bit that a guy like Joaquin Neiman that I've been on weekly and that I didn't get to punch a ticket on this week might have been a better play, but I'm not going to cancel the two wagers. Once I have them in, I think that that's the biggest negative EV play, play that you can make on it. But of realistic choices, because I don't want to start naming random outliers that move from 120th to 60th and crack the top of the list. Um, the top three improvements in my weighted putting that I ran to mimic Sea Island and move away from a typical green complex ended up being Brandon Grace, Russell Henley, and Corey Connors. Charles Howell and Wallace were fourth and fifth. So it adds a little more reasoning behind why I took them as top 40 plays. But Connors specifically is the one I love in all game types. He grades inside the top 10 in strokes gain off the tee, strokes gain total, strokes gained at easy courses, venues under 7,200 yards, play in wind. Bermuda grass, par four scoring from 400 to 450 yards, accuracy, GIR is gained, and his combination of putting plus iron play. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a little more squeamish on Henley for things like DraftKings because of his ownership, but I do think he makes a lot of sense for an upside wager as an outright bet. I'm more willing to bet him there than to play him at 20% on DraftKings. I do think there's some volatility, and I, I would not be shocked if he ended up burning the industry. But at 31 to 1, I thought it was a good number. I thought he was one of the five best win equity players in this field. Uh, Chris Kirk, 70 to 1. As I keep mentioning, I'm just going to keep trusting my numbers on him as he seems to be one of the best values on the board weekly. The current form leaves a little something to be desired, but Grace Court's history to go along with the statistical prowess that I mentioned for him in my placement market rundown. Brian Harmon, 80 to one, uh, that is on DraftKings, but I did see some similarities with Harmon and what my model pinpointed on Coke Rack last week. Both were two of the biggest movers when removing safety from the mix. And Harmon actually grades as the 14th best golfer in this field from a win equity standpoint in my model. And then I do have a wager on Brandon Grace at 100 to one. I mentioned that with some trepidation after I read today, he was dealing with costochondritis, 
which is an inflammation of the cartilage that connects the rib to other bones. We will see how that one plays out. Uh, but he did have the 17th best win equity for me in this field. The outright price puts him more in the 35 to 40 zone of players. And I never cash out wagers, as I just mentioned, unless doomsday has set in. It feels worse if I change my mind and one of those guys goes on and wins the event. And just to mention it, for whatever it's worth, I do have a Jason Day ticket at 100 to 1. I'm not going to be keeping it for official bookkeeping purposes at this moment. Um, that's an every week thing that I have Jason Day. But uh, I've noticed that these short layouts like Pebble Beach and Sea Island have allowed him to remain elite, even during his times of struggling. Day is slowly creeping back towards a top 40 player most weeks when I run a model. And it might be a situation where you can get out early in front of him at a course that suits his game. I realize that isn't going to convince anyone of going down the rabbit hole with me, uh, but I would have been remiss if I didn't at least mention him on a podcast. Uh, that will do it for me this week, though, on the Better Golf Podcast. We will see how the boards are set up for the Hero World Challenge and QBE Shootout, but there is a chance that this is the last show of the year. If that does happen to be the case, I will see everybody back here for the Tournament of Champions in January. But I wanted to thank all the listeners for staying with me during Nick's absence. It means a lot for everyone that makes this program a part of their weekly rotation. And I look forward to continuing the success in 2022. As always, you can find me on Twitter at TF Sports. You can find Nick at Stick Picks. And you can find the two of us together at Better Golf Pod. Good luck this week at the RSM Classic. And I will see you guys again soon.